Yeah, bring greetings from Dubai. We've been there since 2001. Uh, we planted the church and in a, a pilot's house from Emirates, Emirates pilot. And uh, we've seen God just do some amazing things. I've so many stories, but I'm here for a whole week. I'm here with you next Sunday as well. And uh, we're meeting with a couple of leaders, leader, leadership meeting moments through the week. So I'll be sharing some of those stories with you. But the word I had, uh, probably three, four weeks ago, we were in a, a worship moment, just a midweek prayer and uh, worship moment. And I had this one word from the Lord. I, the Lord tends, to, maybe it's because of my education, that he just speaks one or two words to me. Maybe, maybe a sentence is too much. But every time I hear the Lord, it's just one or two words. And it kind of gets this whole, the wheel spinning. And I hear this word, alignment. Alignment. And, uh, and it's, it's a beautiful moment. And by the way, well done to the worship team. Finally. <laughs> finally. I, I, this kind of Christo-centered, Christ-centered worship. It's about him, not about us. Worship is for him. Amen? Not for us. And I really, really loved it. And you finished the song that I was going to ask you to sing if you hadn't sung it. Because I want to preach about the centrality of Jesus this morning. In fact, this whole week while I'm with you, just some of the word that I feel like God has given to me to, to uh, release here is all around Jesus. And we had a great uh, afternoon, evening barbecue at Brad with Paul last night and Ben. And uh, just so much of the conversation was actually in my, in my notes that I want to share today. Um, but they had this word alignment, and, and the sense was that uh, many, and it came through Coco, the, the, the word she brought this morning as well, that I think there is a, a, a devilish, a demonic strategy to come and, and knock us. And, and so the sense was, you, most of you all have cars in this place, it's a privileged first world nation, and I, I have had some very nice cars, I've had some very shockers of vehicles, and uh, you all know when your wheels are out of alignment, what happens is there's excessive wear and tear on the tires, there's generally a shudder, <laughs> and I'll tell you a really funny story about that in a moment, uh, but what happens also is that there's a pulling to one side. And as, I, as the Lord dropped this, this word alignment into my heart, I, I really felt like the word that came this morning about the focus about Jesus. The enemy wants to come and, and all it takes for a vehicle to get out of alignment is just a bump, a bump against the pavement. Uh, we arrived in Adelaide a week ago. We did some ministry at the church in Adelaide. Um, and the guy who picked us up from the, from the airport with all our bags, we're driving home, it's freezing cold, Paul in Adelaide, and uh, we've left 45 degrees Dubai and come into like 10 degrees in Adelaide, and, uh, and on the way back from the airport, he hits, uh, he's got some beautiful low-profile tires, but he hit a pothole. The roads in Adelaide need a little bit of attention. Down south. Down south. In the south. Not where Paul did, but in the south. <laughs> anyway, we, we, on the way back from the airport with this, and, and uh, it's, he's got low-profile tires, and I think the shocks also need a little bit of work on them. So it was a real uh, kind of rigid hit. And we're driving, and suddenly <laughs> I see the steering wheel doing this. And the car shuddering, and uh, we stop, and I looked at the front tires, and the, tires, the front tire is fine. So we keep driving, and it's shuddering, and it's pulling to one side. 
And uh, so we stopped again, something not right. We looked and it was the back tire actually that had it uh, almost flat. And a long story about that. And then uh, yesterday we're driving with Ben in his brand new um, Rav. Do you have a and he's driving and, he, and suddenly there's a sh- shudder. And Shaman and I start laughing. He didn't know why. And I'm telling him now why. And I, I really feel like this was a, a word. I mean, God dropped it in my heart three weeks ago in, in Dubai. But as I, I was obviously praying and prepping for this trip, I feel like there's a word. And it's not just for our community church. I think it's for the, not just for the, Adelaide, uh, for the Australian church. I think this is a word for the church. And that's where much of our conversation went last night. That the enemy wants to come and he wants to... It just takes a little bump. It just takes a little knock. But we, we know when our lives are off that kind of alignment with our focus where it should be on Jesus, when we start seeing our lives beginning to wear and tear, and we are. The Bible says we are wearing out. Our inner man is being renewed, but our outer man is... I'm 63 now. I'm beginning to understand this wear and tear that happens on the body. I feel like I'm 30. Yeah. But when I try and do 30 things... <laughs> anyway. So... So you know this, there's something in your life is out of kilter. Something, there's, an, there's, there's a focus, and all it takes, folks, is a few degrees. And a, a, just a slight shift on that alignment, and, you're, and you know there's something wrong in your life. There's, there's a shuddering. There's a wearing and tearing that's happening. There's a kind of wobble in your life. And I feel like the, 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 the Lord wants to come and bring about some adjustments today in our lives. And uh, I want to read this scripture. From Revelation, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, please. This is, uh, John had two, John the, the, the beloved had two in the spirit moments recorded in scripture, specifically. I mean, he, he walked with Jesus for three and a half years, so he was encountering Jesus every day there. But in, in the book of Revelation, twice it says, I, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And the first in the spirit moment, he turns and, and the first thing he sees is the church. Let's pick it up in verse 10 of, of Revelation chapter 1. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. To Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis and Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst. The word means right in the center, right in the middle of the lampstands was one like the Son of God, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And as for the revelation of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, verse 20, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the seven angelos, the messengers or leaders of the churches, the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Scripture, and and that's what I loved about our our worship this morning, has Jesus in an unparalleled place. God, the Bible has set him above every, his name is above every other name. My concern, and came across last night, our concern, part of it I think is that apostolic grace I feel God has given to me, is, is my concern with the church is that it's so, It seems so easy for the enemy to kind of knock us off course. 
we get so distracted. We get just a little bump in our lives. And I'll, I'll speak about some of those distractions that, that can come and do come in our lives. But it just takes a little distraction, just a little bump it seems, and our focus is off. And I feel like the enemy triumphs in those things. Listen, in, uh, in terms of where, where God has placed Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He, speaking about Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Sometimes you wouldn't think so. But he is. He's before all things. In him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. In everything. And that's part of what I feel like the Holy Spirit of God is saying to his church, that he is the head of. Is God has placed him in this place before all things, above all things, in him all things hold together, so that he might have preeminence. That means to be first in rank, the most important. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. God puts him in an unequaled place. My question and challenge to you, and as it is to me and to this church, Ben, and the leaders of this church and to the church in Australia, is he there? Is that the position? Certainly it's a position he holds, but is it the position we see him? I sit with leaders. I sit much of my life, several months a year, Shemaine and I are traveling around the world. It's just great to have my beautiful wife. We've just celebrated our 36th anniversary. We've got two amazing boys. The youngest just got married. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> to an Australian. A beautiful, beautiful girl. And they both, uh, they live in Dubai. And he's an amazing worship leader for one of the big churches there. Um, but we, we uh, God is wanting the, 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 the church to have him absolutely front and center. And as we, <clears throat> excuse me, have this privilege of traveling around the world, sitting with leaders, it seems so quick that churches are following these different winds of doctrine. It seems so quick that leaders I once knew who seemed to be so strong and so resilient, suddenly because of something, a bump, a knock, and I'm not belittling those things, that, that some of them are significant in our lives, but it's part of the enemy's plan just to get our focus off him. He is unequal, the Bible says. He is the center. He's in the midst. He's right in the middle of his church. And I'm, 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 I'm nervous in some churches because I, I, it's real. The Lord isn't disconnected from his church. He's right there. That's the revelation. I'm in the spirit, John says, and I see him right in the center of his church. And he's speaking to his church. That's part of the, 
part of the alignment. You're doing great. You're doing all the letters to all the churches. Are you doing good? I see your works. I know where you live. I know some of the issues. Some of the, the seed of Satan is there. I know the buffeting. And you're doing this well, but I've got some things that need to come into alignment. Now, you need to be listening, church. We need to be listening in the spirit. See, what John sees in the spirit is in the reality on the earth. And you think you're fine and you think you're doing well and you have no need of anything. He said, no, you're blind and you're deaf and you're naked. That's not a word for you. But But it was a word for the church that he's supposed to be the head of and the focus of. He's unequaled. He's the center. He's the head. He's the first. He's the beginning. He's the author. He's the perfecter. He is the way. That's what Scripture says about him. How is it then that Christ is kind of bumped off or knocked out of being centered in our lives? It can happen through hurts, offenses, failures, disappointments, even through revelation. Isn't that amazing? Paul writes to the church in, in Galatia, uh, the church in Galatia in chapter 2, and he said, I went up because of a revelation. Chapter 2, verse 2. Paul, and he's, I think he's speaking and referencing that, that uh, Second Corinthians 12 moment where he said, I was taken up into the third heaven, and I heard things that are not lawful for me to speak about. I mean, there's amazing things. And, and after that, and many years, in fact, after that encounter, He goes up to Jerusalem because of the revelation. And this is what he says. I set before them the apostles, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was running, I was was not running and had not run in vain. Isn't that amazing? I went up because of the revelation, but I want to just check that this thing's not taking me off course. And I've seen some folks, it's so tragic for me, who seem to be having these amazing and we believe in God encounters. I've had many. I want many more. But folks, if, it's, if the fruit of and the result is that he is not preeminent, that he's not seen and heard and, and touched and felt and smelt, and, and, the, and the change in the congregation is that they are more like Jesus in every way, it's possible that our revelation can be leading us into a Maybe a legitimate thing, but something that where Jesus is not sinned. Are you with me? False doctrine, certainly. He writes to the same church in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. He says, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you? That's kind of who checked you, who bumped you. I've been watching a bit of Aussie Rules, which is almost as good as rugby union. In fact, <laughs> this was part of the conversation in the barbecue last night. <laughs> And Brad and I felt there was like, a, like a, an amen between us. But anyway, it seemed like there's more bodily contact in Aussie rules. I mean, jaws are being broken and teeth missing and in a kind of non-contact sport. I used to play water polo in my younger days, which is supposed to be a non-contact sport. And we all got out of the swimming pool with claw marks down our back and our, our swimming costume down by our knees because people have been hooking their toes in and growing their fingernails so they can draw blood in the pool. You're running in good race. Who, who checked you? Who bumped you off course? You started in the spirit, but you ended in the flesh. Carnality, flesh being fleshy. 
It's something that can kind of check you and knock Jesus off, off being central in our hearts. Demas, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, Paul said, because of the love for this present world, he has deserted me. He's let me down. He's abandoned me. He's forsaken me. Something came. The love of the world, the love of whatever, money, has come in and just nudged you and bumped him off. He was walking with Paul. He was part of Paul's uh, apostolic team. He's deserted me. John chapter 6, 53. Even truth. Hard truth. Hard to understand truth. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. The result of that in verse 66, after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This is a hard thing to understand. You know, I want to speak in one of the sessions I have about something I call uh, codes, secrets, and mysteries of the kingdom. And some of the things that happen around the kingdom, much, much of which we can find explanation for in the, in, the, in the scriptures, but some of the things I don't know. And the, some of the things are well hidden. I mean, they're hidden for us to find. That's what God, he wants us to press into him to find these things. And I'll give you some tools on how to do that. But some of the things are just unexplainable. And I know friends of mine who no longer walk in the Lord because they've been bumped off course. I didn't, I don't, I can't, I don't get this. I don't understand what's happening in my life. Folks, we need to come into alignment with what he's saying. I'm going to give seven things on, on kind of how to come back into that place in a moment. But just before I do, just a concern I carry, and I'll be, it seems like Paul and I, as we've chatted a little bit the last few days, carry a similar concern for the church, is uh, that, that I think the church is in danger of, of pursuing uh, not a, certainly a false gospel in some situations, but certainly uh, pursuing something that is, that is not in alignment with God and His Word. And in the Old Testament, there, is a, is, there were three kings out of all the kings that came through in, in both Judah and in Israel, leader, leadership, who served God with all their heart, and they were all likened to David. Only three. There were some who were okay. Most of them, the Bible says, did evil in the sight of the Lord and caused Israel to sin. But only three, Hezekiah, Josiah, and of course David. And their credit was that they came in and they pulled down all the high places. Many of the other kings who tried to bring reformation didn't remove the high places. And it didn't seem like a big thing to Israel, but I believe it was a big thing to God. And it says they left the Asherah poles. And, and Israel even worshipped to Yahweh, but through the Asherah poles on the high places. And when Shaman and I got together to Israel a couple of years back, we had a, an amazing Israeli uh, guide. He was, he was a born-again believer, but a, a Jewish man from New Zealand, actually. And uh, he took us to the old town of Jerusalem, and we're standing looking over, uh, kind of rocky for those who've been there, just, it's 
not a very glamorous looking place, but he said that was Mount Zion. That's where David's tabernacle was. It's kind of little hill, little bump near the old city of Jerusalem. And then we, and he said, look at that big mountain to the left. He said, that's the Mount of Corruption. And he said, whenever Israel, so David establishes the tabernacle of David on Mount Zion. But it, when Israel was sinning, it said they would take uh, the worship of God up onto this Mount of Corruption. The word in the Hebrew is, is like a false anointing. It's a counterfeit. That's what corruption means. It's a counterfeit worship. And uh, I st stood there and I began to weep and I didn't know why. And I just thought, God, you're so clear in your scripture that there is a prescribed place and there's a prescribed way that we come to you and we worship you. And it's got to be that he is the middle. He is the center. He is the most important. And my concern, folks, is that the church is being bumped and, and rocked and uh, shoved from, from pillar to post in some ways, and it's causing a, a swinging from one side to one extreme to another, one doctrine to another. But Jesus is being pushed off center of his church. And that's part of my word for you today. There are five areas. I'm only going to cover one this morning where I feel like God is speaking about the centrality of Jesus. Number one, we're going to do something, look at some real practical things in the time we have left today. But theologically, I touched on the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is mentioned in, by name or in, in a type in every single script, in every single book of the Bible. He's centered to what God has always been saying. Relationally, through scripture, he is to be center. He is to be the love of our lives. It's not a, this is not a, a structured thing. This is a living thing. And I, I, God began to speak to me a number of years ago just about intimacy with God. And uh, I'm a guy. But I have to be comfortable being the bride of Christ. I mean, picture me. <laughs> but God is so concerned with this love, and we heard it came really through strongly, the words and the, the, the worship and the word this morning. God wants this love relationship absolutely front and center. And uh, as he began to speak to me, there's an amazing scripture in the book of Job, chapter 29, verse 4, and Job is going through this horrific bumping. I mean, no, the devil was trying to bump Job right off course. And, and he got to ride with his wife. His wife said, curse God and die. And he was wrestling. I don't understand this. You know, we know that he was a righteous man. It was the absolute demonic uh, uh, robbing and stealing in, in, in Job's life. But Job says this in chapter 29. I think it's verse 4. He said, oh, this is his prayer, prayer and his cry. Oh, for the days when God's intimate friendship blessed this house. Oh, for the days. His intimate friendship blessed this house. And as I began to preach, it, it kind of turned into a mini-series about intimacy with God. I felt the Lord say this. Is my church is in danger of missing my whispered counsel. John Lent on the chest of Jesus. 
Elijah wanted to hear God, was actually running away in fear. And the earthquake and the wind and the fire came. And the, and the Bible says God was not in the fire, but he was there in the still, small, gentle whisper. I felt the Lord say this too, kind of challenged me and the church. I felt the Lord say this, touch me out of intimacy and not out of necessity. T touch me, press into me. It says in Israel that everyone was pressing into God because they all had needs. They wanted healing. I want a healing. I want finances. I want a job. I want my marriage to get sorted out, you know. Touch me out of intimacy, not out of necessity. So let me look at a couple of practical things. Is that okay? Fasten your seatbelts. I'm going to be really quick with this. What does it mean to be Christ-centered practically? One. It's the first prayer we pray. Jesus is Lord. <laughs> and I can't remember when I last heard a message about this. His Lordship. And His Lordship really has been speaking what I'm speaking about now. He's being absolutely centered. It means being master. It means He's the owner. That I'm His bond servant. I love the sonship message. But I want to say that so much while we are sons, we're also bond servants of Christ. He's always the Lord. He's always the head. We always, while we sit on his knee and we can cry, Abba, Father, through the spirit of adoption, he's always almighty God that I, I, I both adore, but I also reverence because he's there. He's in this place. And I, I've said again many, many times to the worship teams of the churches we go to, We've lost the, the wow in worship. It's, we're singing about me and we're singing about this and we're even singing about things God has done, but it's not this open-eyed wonder of the glory of who He is has been lost somehow that we've got to redeem. And we need a church and need to come every Sunday or every Friday and every day at home, stand there wide-eyed, jaw-dropping, wow. God, almighty, the glorious, exalted, high one, holy, righteous, omniscient, of all the attributes of God, transcendent, and yet in all these things, God, wow, and you love me, and you chose me, and I'm your son or your daughter, wow. When we lose that, folks, we've lost that front and center, middle, high place. That God needs to be, always is in his church, but needs to be redeemed. He's, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I hear much about him being Savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Jesus. But we need to be saying, Jesus, you are Lord. He is Lord. You are Lord. You've risen from the dead and you're Lord Jesus Christ in the church. Secondly, practically, he's the first prayer that is prayed. He's also the first Lord to be obeyed. Many will come in that day, Jesus said, and they will say, Lord, Lord. We did all of these many things. You read that in Matthew 7, but he said, I don't even know who you are. We were speaking about that yesterday. I don't even know you. They say, Lord, 
But he isn't obviously there. He isn't there. And that's a whole other story. I don't don't want to get sidetracked into today. Thirdly, he's he's the first stone to be laid. He is the chief cornerstone. And part of the mandate I feel God has given to me, to us, is to go and lay in Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. He's the beginning of any church plant, of the church. Everything is aligned to him. And and where churches are being split and churches are are crumbling and churches are going off in one direction or they're going through this kind of shudder and wobble, so often we've got to get dig down into the foundations and we find Jesus is not the cornerstone. It's something else, even valid. Prayer is not the cornerstone. Worship isn't the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus. Fourthly, he's the, he's the first focus in our lives. Colossians 3 and verse 1. Seek the things above, Paul says, where Christ is. Seek them above. Set your minds on the things above. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. It's all about him first focus. And honestly, I get around leaders again around the world and he's hardly in the conversation. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to the Father. He's the first prize. Paul said, I count all things as loss that I might gain him. He's the first one we love. Love him first and love him most. This is good marriage counsel. I love Jesus way more than I love Charmaine. And that's part of why our marriage works. And I want her to love him way more than me. He's first. Love him first. You shall love the Lord your God with everything. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the command of God, Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom. I want to kind of land here, this last one. That he needs to be the first And can I say this, the last impression that we make or leave behind. The word impress means a marked influence, an effect, a feeling, or an image retained as a consequence of experience. Let me read that again. We talk about, uh, you left an impression. You left a lasting impression. My challenge is, what is that that we leave behind? An impression is a marked influence, an effect, a feeling, or an image retained as a consequence of experience. And I began to prepare this, uh, the, the last couple of points under, the, under this one about leaving a lasting impression. And I, and I labeled it this. We leave behind, I hope, the residue of God. The residue means a part left after the main part has gone or been taken away. You know, in Acts chapter 4, it says this. When they, the Pharisees, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, 
they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They saw in these two guys the residue of God. They, knew, they were uneducated. These were fishermen, but they'd left something. They'd left them when they saw the boldness, particularly the wisdom and the boldness, and said they, they, they recognized he'd been hanging with someone. And so I wrote down a couple of things as I close. We need to leave behind a residue of, of a sacrifice or an aroma of God. My challenge to you, church, that community church, what is the aroma you leave behind? In your office, in your house, wherever it is that you go. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 15, we are the aroma of Christ to God. I was uh, having coffee with a friend of mine just a, a, a couple of weeks back. And we were talking about a mutual friend. And this is what he said to me. He said, he's been three times in my house. He has always left the fragrance of Christ when he's gone. And that, that hit me. And I thought, what a, what a compliment. He's left the fragrance or the residue or the aroma of Christ when he left. He's a lover of Jesus. That's what he said. How are you doing? What's the aroma after you've left a family meeting or a friendship gathering? Wow, just the fragrance of Jesus. We need to leave a fragrance or a residue of his fire. It's a sign of our being together. I don't get that people aren't radical for Jesus. I got saved out of a horrendous lifestyle. It's because of his greater love for me and I've been forgiven much. I do love much. And I think I'm worse now than I was at the beginning, 40-something years ago. I'm more in love with Jesus. But it says of the disciples, when they, when they walked with Jesus on their Maze Road, it said something's burning in our hearts when we're just in his presence because God is a consuming fire. I don't get mediocrity. We need a church on fire. I don't want to sit next to a burnt old piece of charcoal. I, I, don't, I, want, to, I want to be a fire lighter. Just kind of being here, you, just suddenly you burst into fire. Not because of any demonic thing. Just because I, I'm, a, I'm a fire starter. I, and it's not me, I'm not some big deal, and it's not because I'm such a charismatic guy and I get so pumped up, my veins sticking out, I'm spitting and spraying over everyone because I'm so enthusiastic for God. It's because the consuming fire lives inside of me. Jeremiah says, your word is like a fire. Shut up, I can't keep it in. I'm trying to keep it in, I gotta let it out. Your word, it's burning, it's live, it's living, it's real. I can't be the silent middle of the road Politically correct, sorry, Australia. I can't be that. I'm in love with Jesus, and he's the rock of offense, and I'm offending people everywhere. Not intentionally. It's I just get offended because I'm saying what he said. And thank God he said it. And I might say some things today you get offended at. I was sitting 
having coffee with a guy who had asked me to marry him to his wife. <laughs> and uh, this is in Dubai. So my son, my son has done some modeling, and uh, this is one of his modeling friends. In fact, this guy had his own model agency. Really nice looking man. Italian or some, some Euro European thing. So I said, <laughs> European, I mean European, distant origin. Really nice kind of olive skin, dark beard. Re a really good looking guy. What's a beautiful, obviously a beautiful wife. And uh, so I said to my son, it's okay, but are they, are they believers? And he said, no. So I said, well, I do definitely need to meet with them. And so we made the arrangement. We met at Starbucks right around the corner from my house. We're having coffee, and I, I didn't plan to do this, but I ended up after 30 minutes, I, you know one of those kind of out-of-body moments? And I, while I'm speaking to this guy, I thought, I should be taking notes. I mean, I am cooking. I am pre I'm preaching the gospel, but it's like, I've never preached this way before, and it's, and it's just over a cup of coffee, but I'm, I'm like, yeah, baby. <laughs> I mean, the, the fire, there's a fire, you know? So in the, in the middle of the, the conversation, he, he, the guy puts his hand up. He stopped me, and uh, so I stopped, and he says, uh, do you understand Reiki? And I said, uh, I understand the Reiki in the garden, <laughs> but I kind of heard of Reiki. I said, I've heard the name. I don't understand it. He said, well, I'm, I'm a believer in Reiki, which is kind of picking up and discerning auras around people, you know, and he said, take my hand. So we're in Starbucks. I think it's fairly safe to do this. So I take his hand, and, and I went like this. His hand was on fire, and he was shaking, and he said, I don't know what it is about you, but there's this, there's this fire in you and around you. He said, I've never seen anything like this. I said, it's the presence of God, buddy. And he, he, he's discerning something like in the spirit, you know. Folks, please don't be a fire extinguisher. Be a fire starter. Let, and, and, and just, you know, Jesus walks in this room, I'm telling you, things will start to explode. When Jesus, that's what happened all over Israel. Demons were cast out, people got healed, dead got raised. It just, and he wasn't running around trying to be this re religious, spiritual dude. Residue of his wisdom, residue of his love, love. Residue of his grace, his kindness, his boldness, his generosity. Signs and wonders, miracles, I need to close. And we're going to, residue of his leadership. Then we're going to pray for Ben and Jess. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 6. Paul says this, you became imitators of us and of the Lord because you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in Mark 10. He called him to himself and he said, you know that those who are considered rulers and the Gentiles, they lord it over people and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served. Uh, sorry, not to be served, but to serve and give his life 
as a ransom for many. Won't you please stand? If you wouldn't mind, just to bow your heads. Not a religious thing, it's just kind of get a focus moment. I want to challenge you through the Word and from the Word. I hope we learn that as the Word of God comes, we do make adjustments. But I want to say this, is Jesus absolute front and center of your life? That's where the Father has exalted Him to be. That's where He is in reality. But is that your reality today? Maybe there's been some bumps and some knocks in your life that have caused this misalignment, out of alignment moment. I'd love just to pray with you before we pray with Ben and Jess. What fragrance do you leave behind in a room? Is it a fragrance of life? Like this friend of mine, he left the fragrance of Jesus. If you feel like there's some area that needs realignment, maybe it's been one of the knocks or bumps you've had in your life. Marriage issues, financial, what, 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 it doesn't matter. All it takes is a turning. When Jesus spoke to, to Saul, who became Paul, the word to him was this. And he was a religious man, but he was a persecutor of the church. Jesus said to him, I want you to turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. Just turn. It seems like some people just continually walk in darkness. They're walking in the shadow. And all you need to do this morning is turn. Turn to the sun. The S-O-N. Just turn. Father, just forgive me. Where I've allowed some bump or knock in my life. Or a sequence or series of bumps and knocks and disappointments and hurts. And maybe even revelation to come and knock you from being absolute front and center of my life. I'm sorry. I don't want to say you're Lord and you aren't. Jesus, today I want to declare that you are Lord, Master and Owner, Savior, King, Lord of Lords and King of Kings in my life. 